Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director, Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the MindBeat Podcast. I'm Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. And we have got a great episode with you today. We actually have one of our uh, teammates, uh, Lisa Siapi, who is the Chief Programming Officer at Effective School Solutions uh, and is really one of the most knowledgeable individuals I know around school-based mental health, uh, leads a team that does great work uh, all around the country. And she's really going to talk to us about state of mental health uh, in the 2022-2023 school year, as well as some uh, very kind of uh, uh, concrete tips, I think, for educators and for parents when it comes to summer planning and how we can make sure that we're continuing to support the mental health of our students over the summer. So how are you doing today, Lane? I'm doing very well. How about you? Good. This is our, our uh, people who listen to this aren't going to know this, but we, we actually do these podcasts in like um, uh, kind of, we, we do multiple podcasts at the, mm-hmm. at the same time. And we've done two in a row before, but we've never done three in a row before. So how do you how do you feel given that we're kind of at the beginning of three straight hours of podcasting joy? It's bittersweet. You know, I um I really love doing the podcast. I think it's a lot of fun. I hope that we're bringing some really good information to our listeners. Um so it's it's kind of nice to take a break for the summer though, but I'm I'm going to miss it a little bit. So it's, good. it's bittersweet. Yeah, we've got some support coming yeah. in throughout the next 3 hours. We have an mm-hmm. IV coming in if you get to keep hydrated. <laughs> we're going to you know, we'll we'll stop and Thank do you. some calisthenics, some stretching exercises. Brain Three sets. You got it. All of it. So, uh, uh, so what's going on in your life right now? Everything good? Everything is good. Actually, I was thinking about you over the weekend. I was um, at a garden party. And I saw some wow, with, a, with a setup like that. Go, go on, go on, Lane, please. Well, yeah. well, we have talked in the past about that. You have a, well, you know, I'm an avid gardener. I really enjoy gardening. And you've talked about having a pergola in your backyard, right? You have a pergola, I do have a pergola yes. and you were looking to maybe get some type of flowering vine or something on it. So I have a lot of flowering vines that are perennials. That I love clematis, right? But they have a, a relatively short bloom period. So I was thinking about this, like this thing with your pergola, like what can bloom all year round and, and to boot has some like fragrance to it. Wisteria. 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 And there are multiple varieties, but okay. you want a climbing wisteria. Climbing wisteria. Climbing okay. wisteria. And, you know, you got to pick whatever color works for you, but it comes in a variety of colors. I don't know what your backyard theme is. If you have I don't know if I have colors. My, theme, my backyard theme is grass. Okay, so. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you have a predominantly one color of flowers, if it's like a white or if you have really I colorful actually, So backyard. I have an update on this, actually. Uh-huh. So my, my wife went to the, the local nursery the gardening uh, place. And so we have, we have we have two big pots next to the legs of our pergola, mm-hmm. and you can you know plant things in the in the pots. And she went and she came home and planted uh, impatiens in there. Oh, I was not I was not consulted on this. Yeah. Uh, 
they look very nice, but yeah. they're not. It's not a creeping vine, right? It's also so. an annual, so they're not going to make it past this Correct. year. And is a wisteria a? Uh, it's in a perennial. Well, see, wisteria. I don't think a perennial will work though, because the pot is like uh, it's not it's not below the ground. Uh-huh. I think it would freeze, right? Unless I um, unless I picked it up and moved it into like a you, warm area. You probably can. I think if you have a deep enough pot, I don't know how big your pot is. Like it's big, uh, it's a big pot. yeah, then you'll probably, probably be okay. Because I yeah. do a, a couple of tropical plants that you're supposed to bring in, like um, canna lilies. They're like bulbs, or they're beautiful tropical flowers. You're supposed to bring them in. I don't do any of that. Okay. If I have a deep enough pot or if they're in the ground, they seem to come back. I might get two, maybe three years before I replace them. Okay. Um, but I think you'll be okay. And wisteria is pretty hardy. Uh, can, you know, it's, it's a perennial, so it's going to die off in the wintertime and come back in the spring. But it's so fragrant. Either that or if you can find like a climbing lilac. I just think if you're in a pergola and you get a nice breeze, you want that nice like floral smell. Like I love having a lilac near a window or uh, what are they called? Hyacinths near a window. Like they're really fragrant. I was doing my walk. I do a morning walk. And there was like a half mile in my walk of just um, honeysuckles. So many honeysuckles. It smells amazing this half this half mile that I'm just walking down the street with all these honeysuckles. It smells so incredible. This is why people join this podcast you join for the free gardening <laughs> advice you stay for the school based you're welcome health you're welcome listeners so, there you go well lane why don't we jump into it we've got yes. our uh, we got our top three uh for today we've got our in the news and then we're gonna we're gonna uh, go right into our conversation with lisa you want to get started with our top three for today let's do it So I think a lot of educators have concerns over the summer about learning loss or the mental health of their students. So my three tips are, if possible, meet with students individually. And, you know, in a primary school, that's probably a lot easier to do or a small middle school. High school may be a little bit more difficult. But if you have the opportunity to meet with students individually to kind of discuss their summer plans, you want to recommend that families um, that need access to books or laptops or other materials over the summer that they have, um, you know, that the school is aware of that and can help find them resources to keep their kids um you know being able to do the projects that are assigned over the summer uh you want to connect families with resources um, particularly if there's any type of um, like food scarcity or anything in the home, just so that they, you know that they have some, some peace of mind, know that they'll be cared for during the summer. Then I think um, to, to add to that, number two would be the district should hold summer resource fairs to let um, kids know, or parents know about different summer camps, particularly if, uh, if money is an issue. There are a lot of free programs or reduced programs uh, to keep kids busy and engaged over the summer. Also, there's just camps that are like for gifted children or kids with special interests that the school might have, um, you know, access to or be able to get you in touch with. Um, or if there's some type of specific focus. Uh, again, I already talked about food banks. And then for number three, you want to prepare engaging projects for students to do over the summer. Because I think the the typical thing is reading lists. And, you know, there's a lot of avid readers who enjoy that. But some kids are like, ah, boring. And if you have a more engaging kind of um, practice or something that they can be on the look out for in the summer or um, just things that are going to be part of their natural activities if you can really have kids think more deeply about them or a world around them. But, you know, engaging summer projects. So those are my my top three. So like weeding my garden, mulching. <laughs> You know, Look, like there's a lot of lessons heavy, in that. Heavy, heavy labor in the yard, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of maybe not the manual labor. If you're maybe if you're doing some uh, some uh, what you call allowances for that, but sure. I mean, I think uh, just having kids in the garden. I don't know if you do vegetables or just being a part of um, of nature and just understanding being in the dirt and seeing how things grow and progress. I think that that's a great science experiment for kids. So. 
it? I've only tried growing vegetables once and it did not yeah. it did not go well. I didn't it's I didn't have my I, I so I, I planted a garden and when mm. I planted it, I think it was in April and there were yeah. not leaves on the trees. So yeah. I thought the area of the yard was sunny. Yeah. But it was actually that when the leaves came out, it was in the shade. So oh. I, I grew like a cucumber plant and yeah. literally all that I got all summer was one little stunted yeah. like an albino cucumber it was albino. like a like a little tiny <laughs> it looked like a mutated uh-huh. like little tiny white cucumber Aww. and uh not not edible sad. like i did not sad, sad, that right? was so, sad and i haven't i haven't gone back to the well on the garden i do herbs i'm not really a fan of that i did tomatoes one year and they're really easy to grow but i don't like tomatoes so there was a million tomatoes sitting on the ground bees were coming it was like why am i doing this yeah. and then yeah. i just feel like you spend all summer to have like one watermelon or a couple of whatever it is. So I'd rather just have flowers and constant bloom. But I do like herbs because I cook with them so they're useful. And rosemary is another one. Rosemary and lavender, they keep bugs away. So if you keep them on your patio, you can even just rub your hands in the lavender or the rosemary and put it on yourself and the bugs will stay away and you smell amazing. Wow. Uh, Again, (laughs) come come for the, you know, herb-based kind of like, uh, you know, Personal hygiene tips, and this is good, good stuff. Tip of the iceberg. All right, well, why don't we jump into In the News? The article for today, um, and this is actually from The Hill, but this is a story that probably a lot of us kind of saw back uh, back in May. And the title of this article is Surgeon General Issues Advisory that Social Media is contributing to you to the youth mental health crisis, and uh, a lot of a lot of casual kind of news listeners, news watchers, news readers have probably heard about this. But the Surgeon General came out back in May and essentially, you know, put an official Surgeon General's warning on social media usage, akin to you know, if, you know, the, the Surgeon General's warning that appears on packs of cigarettes, essentially. So, wow. um, and I and I do think I've often thought that like there is a real analogy between what's going on with kind of social media now and what maybe was going on with kind of like tobacco use back mm. in like the early 1960s. So if you've ever watched the show like Mad Men, right, when that takes right. place, and I think one of the clients in that show for the ad agency is a cigarette company. But those early episodes, it's kind of like people know that cigarettes are bad, but they don't really realize how bad. Mm. And so I kind of feel like that's where we are with social media right now. Yeah. And I think there's a good chance that we're going to pull up as a society in five or 10 years and just look back at this time and basically say, like, what the heck were we doing back then? And right. why is there not more and better kind of common sense regulation kind of on and I don't this? know if you can put the toothpaste back in the tube. Like, we're, we're yeah, we're it's all tough. addicted. So, I don't know how we're all going to pry the phones from our hands at yeah. this point or social media. I'm not really sure. Well, the couple a couple of the things that um, a couple of the things that this uh, that I highlighted kind of in this article, one was just some of the background statistics. So um, adolescents between the ages of 12 and 15 who spent more than three hours on social media daily have double the risk of developing symptoms of depression and anxiety. And that's from a study uh, that was conducted back in 2019. Teenagers on average spend three and a half hours per day Mm. on social media. Now, what I don't know here is whether social media is defined as like, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, you know, Facebook, not that young people really kind of use that, or if it's defined as kind of technology usage in general, I suspect it's kind of the latter and not the former. Cause I I think, uh, I think, I think with with my kids, it's more of an issue of just like, I'm going to watch Netflix for like, you know, 72 straight hours versus like, you know, being on Snapchat kind of that long. I think both are, are a challenge. Well, Um, there's a bunch of ones that we don't even really know. Like my son just told me about a new one called be real. Have you heard about this one? Yeah. 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 (laughs) There's, there's so many more that that's the one, that's the one where you're, you're kind of given an alert every day and you have to stop whatever you're 
you're doing yeah. and kind of like take a picture of like, yeah. <laughs> exactly and the, the the premise behind that my understanding of it is anyway that it's different than uh instagram where it's really prepared and you know oftentimes kind of phony where this is whatever you're doing you have to stop or it's not it's not accepted but it's still asking you to drop literally whatever you're doing in your life yep. no matter what and basically be kind of like That's you know so in direct response <laughs> to a a box that you're holding in your hand so that doesn't seem That's true it seems like you're trading one set of issues for for another um, this is what i mean there's so many i yeah. don't know that it's one particular app like it's the combination of this that these ideas are being reinforced wherever they turn yeah you know? it's like, yeah it's a it's a challenge for sure so a couple of the other uh points that the surgeon general made here i thought it was interesting that he basically pointed out that the onus for managing health, healthy social media use isn't just entirely on parents so what he's mm -hmm. basically saying is that there needs to be a a role for social media companies to regulate themselves and they don't have a good track record on this right. i think they have a track record of doing a lot of like kind of cosmetic on the surface types of things but they have not been very transparent with kind of their algorithms and and how they work and and i think they've probably consciously or unconsciously put up some barriers towards common sense regulation on this and like like anything with regulation i think we've got to be careful about unintended consequences because social media obviously has right. some good aspects to it as well. But I do feel like there's going to have to be a role at some point here for, um, you know, government to get involved and, and, you know, promote a set of standards. I hope that can come from within the industry. But, you know, we'll see how it uh, see how it plays out. I'm curious what other countries are doing. They've got to be experiencing these same things. I don't know what the response is from other superpower countries. I'm curious. That's a good question. It's a good question. Not, not sure. So, um, Funny, so interesting stuff, and I think just another sign that there continues to be, I think, nationwide, even global kind of galvanization and momentum around and awareness around the youth mental health crisis and the things that we need to do to keep our students safe and to, to continue to support their mental health and, and wellness. There's a whole conversation there, too, about what schools are doing about the use of phones in schools. I mean, I think it really ends up classroom to classroom, teacher to teacher, rather than having school-wide policies or district-wide policies. Um, and I think that that's a real challenge for districts. I think you have a lot of parent pushback. Like, this is my phone. I buy this phone for my kid, and I want to be able to access my child. But, you know, there's a lot of other things that are going on with the phones during the school day. So for sure, I, I really applaud the teachers who just say right up front at the beginning of the year, first day, that's not what we do here. It's part of your class particip participation grade to turn in your phones. But I'd like to see districts, you know, take a um, like a stance on it, you know. I agree. Yep. Yep. All right, well, why, why don't we get into our very special guest for today? Yes. And uh, our very special guest is Lisa Siapi, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is the chief programming officer at Effective School Solutions. So Lisa's been working um, in uh, you know cl various clinical settings for over 20 years, but the last 12 years, she has been with us here at Effective School Solutions. Uh, and uh, she's going to tell us about her role, so I'll be kind of high level with it. But really, she supports all of our clinical programming in the organization. So all of our kind of therapists across the uh, country kind of working in schools and school districts ultimately report up into Lisa's organization. Uh, she is a proud mother of uh, two great kids and uh, is just passionate about mental health with a particular focus around adolescents and families. So welcome, Lisa. We're really excited to have Hi, you with Lisa. us today. Hi. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. 
All right. Well, uh, you know, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but, uh, you know, what, what exactly is a chief programming officer? And, <laughs> and what do you do as, as part of that, you know, I'm lofty and grandiose yeah. title? I think I'm figuring that out day by day now. Um, I, like you said, I mean, I, I oversee all of the clinical programming in ESS, but it's not just about the clinical programming for our students. I think it's also about our communities, our schools, our teachers, um, administrators, making sure that we're also having education and um, professional development. On the, on the top of mind for, for students and really informing communities because at the end of the day we want to make sure our students are successful so I think the clinical programming is really really important in making sure that if a parent has given us the um, the ability to service their student and has given us their trust uh, we owe it to them to make sure we're providing high quality clinical care so that's a big part of it um, but there is a whole wraparound um, you know that we'd like to do for the students to help them feel supported and um, that's really kind of part of the ESS mission is making sure that we're supporting the students in a wraparound approach. Thank you, Lisa. I um I also just want to mention you were part of the like one of the original members of VSS. Am I right? So yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a yeah. long time. <laughs> so maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that's been like being here since, if not the inception, pretty close to Almost. it. And uh, and then if you could tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got to this place and, yeah. and what you enjoy about school based mental health. Um. Well, yeah. So ESS. Um. It was very small when I came on. I actually saw it um, from being created. I worked at the out of district placement that um, the owner there was kind of developing ESS and its model and just being a social worker and out of district placement. And that wasn't the first one that I've worked in. Um, just seeing students really um, being isolated from their communities, not being able to be a part of, um, you know, getting back to school on time to be able to do sports and all that kind of stuff. It could be really isolating in out of district placement. I think there are so many benefits to be able to support students in a smaller setting with intensive clinical services. But there are students that could flourish in their communities and have access to all the things that their communities can offer if they just had the right supports in place. Um, so that's obviously where ESS kind of came from. Um, and a lot of my experience has been in out of district placements. I've worked in residentials, I've worked in juvenile justice. Um, so I really am passionate about working with youth and um, families. Um, I feel like there is uh, a lot of um, work to be done with our youth. I think they are, you know, product of their environment. And for me, it's just always been um, something that got me up in the morning is being able to impact that and help them see their worth um, and help them navigate and hopefully, you know, impact a greater sense of success for them down the future. So um, it's always been my my passion is is uh, children and families for sure. Um, I've always liked social work. I think I was always if I saw somebody sitting by themselves at a restaurant. I'd be the first one to go over and try to talk to them and just kind of my nature. So, um, so yeah, it's been a real I'm, I'm glad I am able to do what I do and make it my career. I'm very fortunate to have that. So yes. oh, thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, given the, the what do you, school-based mental health is at an interesting time right now. I think at, at, on the one hand, there's never been greater awareness mm -hmm. of the role that schools can play when it comes to mental health. On the other hand, I think we see a lot of school districts still trying to figure out how exactly they play this new role that has been kind of thrust upon them. So what's the biggest challenge that you think school districts face today when it comes to implementing school-based mental health best practices? I think there's there's a couple. Um, I think first and foremost, 
funding, as we talked, I think, as we all know, sometimes, you know, funding for school districts is really can be a challenge. Some districts have a deficit of funding. So now they've kind of been tasked with this responsibility to support our youth and to provide services, but they don't always have the funding to be able to support that. So funding, I think, is definitely one of the challenges, especially this year, for whatever reason, there's definitely been various um, districts that are struggling just to try to find the funding to sustain um, mental health supports. And then the other is kind of twofold. I think identification, you want to make sure that you're finding uh, ways to identify your students that are struggling um, early. The earlier, the better. Um, but then once you identify them, what do you do with them? So I think that's the other challenge is just having the capacity to support the students. Um, I think so many you know, districts have so many wonderful guidance counselors and social workers that really um, work really hard every day to be able to support their students. But at the end of the day, their job is also to do testing, IEPs and 504s and work with the teachers. So their sole purpose is not to then support every student um, individual therapeutic needs, um, they don't have the capacity to do that. So it's kind of hard now that you've identified these students, what do you do with them, who supports them, and just in general, I mean, more of our students are struggling. So there's more and more students coming to the surface, I think, even especially this year, as opposed to the last couple of years. So, mm. um, so yeah, funding, identification, and then just capacity. Okay. So I'm curious about, you know, with over 20 years of experience working with school-based mental health, uh, you know, we were just talking at the at the top of this about social media has just come yeah. into existence within that last 20 years. I want to say like 08, 09, maybe 2010. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've had a pandemic. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a lot of things happen in those 20 years. What have you seen change about, um, about the way schools are handling mental health or about the increased need or if there is any? I don't, I'm curious yeah. what your opinion is on how things have changed in that 20 years? It's definitely changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. um, I think, you know, being a clinician for this long, there's always been challenges and, um, you know, stressful situations that students have to navigate. Um, but just kind of looking over the past even five years, um, mm -hmm. I've slowly, slowly seen an increase in the intensity of the acuity of our students. Um, prior to the pandemic, as we all know, this this isn't new. There, we were in a mental health crisis prior to. We've had students um, that really struggled, um, an increase in um, being able to manage their um, their emotions um, positively. You know, has been a real challenge for for our students, behavioral issues. Um, so I think you know the pandemic just really exacerbated things um, and kind of brought stuff into light. We missed now two years of social healthy socialization and, and opportunities to be able to develop coping skills and um, and just resilience for our students. So we're kind of two years set back. So, and I noticed last year after the pandemic coming into the schools, we saw an uptick in a lot of uh, physically, physical aggression with our students, um, difficulty re returning to the school buildings full time, incorporating this, you know, into the schedule full day. Um, and I feel like we've made some gains in that area. I do feel like a lot of the aggressive behaviors that we were seeing last year has declined this year, although they're still present, but they're not as high. What I find this year um, is now all the internalizers are starting to come to the surface. So we're seeing a lot more high-risk incidents, a lot more students who are expressing suicidal ideation um, and self-harm as a way to cope. So I think that's really been one thing that is different this year as opposed to years in the past where we're definitely seeing an increase in that area. We, uh, in our PD department, we've had so many more requests for suicide prevention mm -hmm. um, presentations in my whole career. Yeah. yeah, just this past year, I would say. 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like students have accumulated these deficits, right? We have one of our clinicians, and and I think I shared this with Lisa, who shared with me a couple of weeks ago that she felt like the true impact of the pandemic was only being felt right now yeah, because yeah. you had this accumulation of deficits in terms of you know socialization deficits, academic stamina right. deficits, and so those are almost like the first order effects, and now we're kind of seeing the second order effects mm-hmm. for a lot of our kiddos kind of starting to be realized on that. And that's that's definitely concerning for sure. Yeah, and I. I think that's kind of where the wave like you're gonna obviously make notice of the people that are kind of kicking and screaming and, and making some noise but it's the internalizers that were kind of missed last year where i think now that's why the focus is kind of shifting mm-hmm. um at this point and on top of that the adults are stressed right so we had the pandemic and you know we went in teachers are, are, are not trained necessarily to support these types of students to be able to identify these types of students um and and now they're kind of thrown into the situation and they're dealing with their own family stressors and financial stressors. So I think it's just a combination of everything all together that has really kind of exacerbated kind of where we are now. Well, you know, I, I spoke about in our top three today about some of the um, ways that teachers can prepare students for summer. But clinically, what, you know, ESS does have some summer programs. Um, what are some of the concerns of our clinicians and working with those kids uh, over the summer and, and the kids that aren't in those program, right. programs who are home doing whatever it is that they you know, have scheduled for the summer? Um, what are your big concerns for, for our students over the summer? I think if we just think about even ourselves as adults, I mean, if we go on vacation, coming back even from a vacation is sometimes hard to like go back to work and and get back into the swing of things. If you think about developmentally, uh, you know, an adolescent who's home now for almost two months with no schedule um, and then just to transition back to school regularly with a student that quote unquote has, you know, good coping skills is challenging. So then you put in all the other stressors on top of that um, and and being able to sustain and be healthy over the summer um, overall and then get back to school is going to be a little bit more challenging. Um, I think the summer is a great opportunity. We all need it. We all need a break. We all need to decompress and have fun, be in the sun, vitamin D, really healthy, right? And make us feel good. Um, But I think just making sure we're mindful of our students um, and and our children about what their needs are. Um, schedules are really important. Yes, I think routine. that right schedules, expectations. Like students, kids thrive on that, right? Mm-hmm. They need people to set expectations for them to be successful. So really, just making sure it doesn't have to be the same as the school. Obviously, here you want to make it less, you know, intensive, but have a you know a time where maybe they wake up at. <laughs> 10 instead of two o'clock in the afternoon and uh, maybe a bedtime routine. Um, If the child is on medication for any reason, I definitely, that is a big one I find over the years that parents are kind of like, oh, I'm just going to give them a break for the summer so they don't have to take their meds. I definitely would not advise on doing that. If you do feel like it would be beneficial for the child to take a break from the medication, just always check with the site with their with their physician. Um, never make those decisions without that, uh, because then you have to titrate them, and then you have to get them back in time for mm-hmm. school. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but I think, yeah, just trying to have a good balance. Um, I think for schools right now, I think what's really important is just identifying what students' needs are educating families, like you had said earlier, um, Lane, educating them on resources, um, on, um, you know, if there are any food banks, because we have to remember a school for a lot of these kids is a safe place um, and it's consistent. And unfortunately, as much as we all would love this for every single child in our world, that's not the reality where they don't have that consistent safe space at home. So it can be very disruptive for them. So just making sure that we know what their needs are, we're educating families, we're giving them resources, 
plan on, you know, with students, if you're if you're a counselor and you're able to pull in the students, have a summer plan. Like, you know, what does it look like for you in the summer? What are, um, when you get upset, who do you go to? Who can you talk to? What are your triggers? And, and really kind of having those conversations, because I think the more concrete we are, the more that we're able to flush out a plan, the safer we can keep our kids. And the more likely they're going to go for help um, if they're feeling overwhelmed and stressed. So I think really just having a plan is really important, making sure that they feel like they have a safe space, um, setting goals, you know, having a daily goal, a weekly goal, whatever that might be, but just keeping them engaged and energized throughout the summer. And of course, limiting screen time. I know we talked about that mm -hmm. as hard as that will be because it's like, oh, I have nothing to do today. So what am I going to do? Look at Snapchat all day long. But um, it could be really isolating. And the impact of the the perfectionism that is being kind of um, shown on it, like you said, the, the other uh, app that kind of like be real in the moment, mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, expectations and standards that are so unrealistic yeah. and so much pressure on our students that that continued uh, focus day in and day out can definitely have an impact on their well-being. So definitely just trying to limit that, maybe finding healthier outlets on social media, as Duncan said, that not all of them are always bad. Um, Gardening so sites, cooking Gardening, sites. right? <laughs> I am not a good gardener. I, I'm very bad at it. I've tried several times. I kill everything. Um, but yeah, just trying to find some type of outlet, um, something that's really healthy. There are positive platforms on there that can kind of help with connection, um, but it can be very isolating. So, Do you have any tips for managing screen time? Oh, <laughs> do I have tips? Um, I do have timers on my kids' stuff. Um, as much as my my daughter does not like that, um, we definitely have some timers on there. Just you know, sometimes when it comes up, if she's done with it, we can negotiate and talk about. <laughs> okay, fine, we'll give you a little bit more time. But I think just. You know, even if you do the three hours a day and then if they come up to it, then maybe you can have a conversation around that with them. Well, what were you doing? And just try to have um, more dialogue and open communication around it, I think is really important. So I think timers are really ha are helpful. And I think if you have some type of a schedule, I think it'll kind of lessen the need to, to constantly grab for that phone. Also, I would suggest at night taking them away if you can. Um, you know, they they don't really help with sleep. Yeah, keep you outside. Oh, they're of terrible, them. right? Yeah, keep because like the, the, room, the yeah. constant flashing of the lights or the mm -hmm. buzzing of all the things that are happening. They're so so, up to an hour before bedtime now. Right. You shouldn't be watching. You should TV. be because yeah. my if my son is on his on his phone till really late, it mm -hmm. takes him a very long time so to fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The blue so, light, right? So the, yeah, and sleep is so important for for our well being. Also, so you just said blue light. My son started wearing those blue light glasses. He said that's helped a lot. Has it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that does help. My daughter had those mm -hmm. too. But yeah, I mean, I think you too. They are <laughs> to keep they're very fashionable. <laughs> Glasses are now fashionable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just having plans in place for our kids, some structure, letting them be kids and have fun. But just remembering, like, you know, having a schedule, having a routine is really healthy. Setting expectations. That's what kids need to thrive. Um, so I think that, you know, if we can kind of, and, and education. So all those things I yeah. think would really be helpful for students over the summer. As I'm listening to you talk about the things that, um, you know, people should be mindful of with students' mental health over the summer, I'm thinking, well, that's a big part of what, what happened during the pandemic, yeah. that those things were, is an extended version of that right. summer, right? Where right. I think so many staff and teachers don't realize that even if a kid constantly complains about school, that that might be the brightest part of their day yeah. and that it's the only predictability that they have. Right. I know my schedule, I know, 
you know, what I can count on, what right. to expect. That pre predictability really helps promote self-regulation. Right. So right. you're describing and my meal, yeah. like I have, I have consistent right. uh, meals. Yeah, and the I food insecurity. And we forget about all these other, you know, yeah. aspects that come into kind of these breaks. Right. Um, I mean, even if I'm sure teachers can relate and other people that work in schools is like when we have Christmas break, what does it look like when we come back? I mean, the kids are, are unfortunately really yeah. dysregulated and having a really hard time readjusting. And again, as much as we would love the home environment to always be a, a wonderful, safe place, unfortunately, that's not everybody's reality. So just mm -hmm. to be mindful of, of all those around us and making sure that we're providing them with all the tools and, and tips and resources that they need. Yeah, yeah. So what's in your go-to mental health toolkit? So how do you kind of, you know, Self stay yeah, self-regulated, self decompress, et cetera. Um, well, I think exercise is always a good one. And I think that's a really good one for students to be able to engage them in the summer because, you know, they're young. They're that It's cool to, like, you know, go for a run, maybe not with mom, but <laughs> go for a run or play wiffle ball or kind of do those kinds of things. Like me jumping in the trampoline last night, which was totally, mm -hmm. I was out of breath and totally not uh, my, my best moment. Um, but I was outside with my kids engaging in some physical activity. So I, I do think that is always really healthy, a good release of endorphins for them. Um, and then the other thing for me, I mean, I think my mindfulness is really great, but Again, I know my son looks at me like I have 12 heads when I'm like, why don't you do some mindfulness? Um, but one of the things that I think that is really easy to do um, is when you're stressed or if you just need to clear your mind, it's just square breathing. I think it's something that you can do anywhere. Square and no one breathing? Will know is that what you're she doing. said? Square. What is square yeah. breathing? So it's, it's a simple technique. Um, you can do it anywhere. No one will know that you're doing it. So that's <laughs> why I think it's also good for kids because it's kind of like nobody is like sitting there tapping their, you know, you know, the tapping technique and no one can see you doing what you're doing. So you just really, it, it's really four steps. It's like you, you picture the square. So the, the first top is you really just exhale all the breath in your lungs, then you inhale for four slow seconds, then you hold it for four seconds, then you release it for four seconds, and then you hold again for four seconds before you start. Oh, I like that. So it's four. I'm, I'm square beating you right now. Square square beating. I'm doing no it a lot of places. places. No one yeah. would know that you were doing it. And, uh -huh. and it's actually really good to either help you calm down, to refocus, if you have anxiety. Yeah. It's a good way to kind of reground yourself. So I think that's kind of one, one tip. One I'm going to add that to my reset list. Thank square you. breathing. There's a lot of breathing techniques. If you look mm -hmm. online, there's tons of different ones. Um, there's tons of different grounding techniques that you can do with kind of focusing on areas of your body to kind of release stress. But I think square breathing is one that you can do anywhere um, that no one will really know you're doing and it's really helpful, so. Cool. Well, Lisa, appreciate you. Thank you yes, for taking the time. I know you're super, yeah, super busy, uh, but just uh, thanks for all that you do sure. for the students that we serve. Well, I'm, I feel very fortunate to do that and uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a great summer, Lisa. Thanks, you guys too. All right, well, Lane, why don't we wrap up today? What, uh, what inspired you this week? What inspired me? So you may remember a few months ago, we spoke with Arnie Duncan, who is uh, the Secretary of Education under the Obama administration. And part of the conversation that we had was talking about, you know, relationships being foundational and uh, student success. And I was on my soapbox that day about um, about building relationships and putting little emphasis on academics in the first couple of weeks of the school year and really just promoting relationship. Well, as I started to kind of um, think more about that and more deeply and about content for our PD department over the summer, I started thinking about the power of play um, and how we are not playing enough in school anymore and all that there can be learned through play. I was thinking about just strategizing is a big one, taking turns, losing gracefully or winning gracefully, uh, teamwork and team building, all of that kind of stuff, right? 
Well, as I started to do my research, here's the inspiring part. <laughs> as I started to do my research on the power of play, I learned something really fun. So, you know, if, if you're familiar with the idea of intermittent fasting, which is, it's a weight loss technique, but the, the real benefit of it is that your body is practicing autophagy if you're not spending as much time digesting. If you have a window of, say, four to eight hours, then the other part of the day, your body doesn't have to focus so much on digestion and can divert its attention to really important functions in your body. That's process is called autophagy, cellular turnover and, you know, liver processing toxins and all these kinds of things. Right. Um, so similar to that with play, if you have a really rigorous academic lesson, like a, let's say an algebra lesson, right. And it's multi-steps and all this, the best thing you can do for a kid after a lesson like that is not to drill down on more exercises and note taking and homework that night, but is to go outside or have some type of unstructured play. And the reason for that is that like autophagy, your body, your brain is able to focus on, it's actually very active during that playtime. It's able to focus on where to store those memories, how to access them again, how to cement this memory here. And, and all of, you know, a lot of really important things are going on academically in your mind during that playtime. So I was inspired by that, that we need to be playing more and that adults need to play more. To your point, now you talked about having physical activity with your kids, that we're not in our bodies enough. We're really in our head. We're not in our bodies. The more we're, you know, it's a mind, body, spirit connection, then the other things will come. That academic stuff will flow. So I was really inspired by my research I, as I continue to do do that and develop our content um, for next year. Good stuff. That's that's yeah. that's a great one. So, uh, yeah. So my mine mine is a little bit uh, a little bit different, um, <laughs> and I, I can't remember if I've talked about this on a previous podcast. But my daughter is on the track team at her high school, and she's gotten into long jump. So that's kind of mm -hmm. become her her kind of a, her kind of signature event, and, and she's really. So what's been inspiring to me is watching her go from someone who literally had never done a long jump before two months ago to the point where she's like competing in like, you know, kind of county tournaments and and things like that. So that's been that's been pretty cool. I, I become like her de facto coach on this, even though I have <laughs> never no idea jumped. what I'm doing. But my job is to show up and like videotape her, like doing 100 long jumps huh. and then, you know, looking at the videos with her and be like, oh, well, that, you know, that looked pretty good. And your approach was good on that. But what I kind of like about it from a kid development standpoint is uh, there's really kind of only four inputs into a good long jump. It's like how fast you run up to your approach. There's your, your actual launch. There's kind of like your, your tuck and how you carry yourself through the air. And then your, there's your, your landing. So I feel like from a goal setting standpoint and from the standpoint of kind of like getting better at something, it's a good opportunity for a kid to go and kind of break down this task mm -hmm. into component parts. And, and then, you know, hopefully she's in ninth grade. So hopefully over the course of her high school career, she's got four things like mm -hmm. that, that all hopefully lead up to just kind of jumping two inches further, three inches further, four inches uh, further. And so that that's kind of kind of cool to kind of see that development and that goal setting. And and it's really been fun to watch her get into it and, and to have uh, I think I think one of the things you always look for with your kids is having them be kind of, uh, you know, self self direct seeing self-directed goal setting mm -hmm. kind of with them. So that's really cool when she's like, hey, will you take me out to the track and, uh, and kind of and, and, you know, you know, help me with long jumps and things like that. And I want to say, like, hey, you're asking, I, I don't know how much help I'm going to be, but I'll go to the track kind of with you. So that's been, that's been kind of a cool Tell experience the last couple um, months. Check out Tara Woodhull. Um, I forgot what her maiden name is. She's recently married, but she's a really cool long jumper. Um, she used to do, she just graduated from like Texas university of Texas, but she's like a real big influencer around long jumping and oh, stuff. Cool. You should check Got her it. out. Yeah. Yeah. Tara yeah, yeah. Woodhull. Yep. 
yeah, there's some good YouTube stuff as there mm -hmm. is kind of with, with anything else. But uh, yeah. uh, but Tara Woodhall, I will definitely check yeah, out. Yeah, that's so. so cool. How old is she? She's 15. That's so cool. I love that kind of gumption and determination. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So definitely uh, good stuff. So, well, Lane, good to see you, uh, you until, the, until the next podcast. And thanks to everyone for joining in and listening to another episode. We will uh, speak to you next time on another episode of the MindBeat podcast. As always, like us. Share, subscribe, whatever smash all the that. smash subscribe that button. smash that like button. So. <laughs> you know what to do, everybody. Yeah, Thank you, you for being Thanks, with everyone. us. <laughs> the Mindbeat Podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. Mindbeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local health care provider.